Welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. I am Renee Steelman, the host of Heaven Sent and Bent, and I am so happy to be with you again this beautiful Monday morning in the Pacific Northwest. I hope that you are all finding joy somehow in your life today in spite of your burdens or your trials. And I always want to remind you that um, I, I like to start out my program with the with the quote from Albert Einstein, which is that there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. And I hope that you are recognizing and finding miracles in your life today. I hope that I'm finding you positive, productive, and prayerful today. And I'm excited to share the program with you today because I have as my guest a good friend of mine. Her name is Jenny. And she's going to share with us the trial that her and her family went through. And just to give you a little bit of a background, um, I met Jenny about eight years ago when we moved to um, the Vancouver area of the Pacific Northwest. And at that time, I didn't know her story. Um, it was something that had happened previous to that. And um, it wasn't until... Gosh, years, years later that I got little, little tidbits of information. And so I'm going to be learning and finding out today more of, of what Jenny and her family went through, uh, along with you. Um, but when I met her, she was in the, um, the end of a very successful, um, but burdensome trial of adopting a beautiful little girl. And so that's where I kind of came into the picture. So, um, I'm anxious to talk to Jenny and have her share her story with us. And, um, I think that her story will remind all of us that all of our trials are different and each of us goes through something that's very individual. And what I love about that is that that just confirms to me that, um, we are all individuals in God's eyes, and the fact that we all have different strengths, we all have different talents, and we all have different burdens, and um, that we're put on this earth to learn about each other, to learn about what each other's burdens are, and then to somehow lighten the load for other people, and then they in turn will lighten the load for us, and that's kind of how it works here on earth. So let me introduce Jenny. Jenny, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing really good. Uh, looking at the weather report today, and, and you know, there's always such a panic here in the Pacific Northwest when we're going to have a beautiful day, because we all know that, you know, you have to be very versatile out here, because um, it's going to be beautiful, and you have to go, whatever we had planned, let it go, because the sun is shining, and we'll do it tomorrow when the rain's coming in. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's what's that's what's happening today. I think everyone's looking at their schedule, going, "Nope, we're taking a walk. We're going on a hike because the rain is coming in tomorrow." So that's right. anyway, I mean, my kids get to wear shorts is what they're excited about. Yes, yes. And then there's those crazy people that live in the Pacific Northwest that insist on wearing shorts all year long just to just to prove something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> So, Jenny, as I mentioned, when I met you, you had already kind of um, gone through a lot that I didn't know about. So 
take us back to the very beginning. Tell us about, um, you know, your family and, and just give us a little bit of a chronological order of how, of how your life went, has gone in the last 10, 11, 12 years. Sure. So, um, when I, I was expecting my, um, fourth child in 2006, um, and, uh, I have three other children and they had all been extremely healthy. Their births had gone very well and they hadn't had any problems. And so, um, in 2006, um, I can remember we went in for, uh, the ultrasound for our baby and, and, uh, I, I really wanted a, another little girl. I have um, two boys, and I had a girl, and I really wanted another girl. And I went in for the ultrasound, and everything seemed great. And I can remember just looking at the screen and being able to tell that it was a girl before she even told me and just being so excited um, and feeling like I was um, probably the luckiest person in the whole world because when I was younger, I used to always – Tell people, when I am older, I'm going to have four kids, and it's going to go boy, girl, boy, girl. And, <sighs> like, I just, I, so I always, I always just had that in my mind as what I wanted. And I can remember lots of people telling me, that's great, but life doesn't work out the way that you plan. And so I remember just driving home going, I can't believe this. I can't believe that I'm actually going to have another little girl and um, just being so happy and feeling like I was on top of the world. And um, so the pregnancy had been really hard. I felt like I neglected my youngest child almost the whole time because I was very sick. And, um, and you know, uh, towards 36 weeks, we, we had gone up to Seattle to visit um, Kevin's sister. And um, during that time, we had some really interesting conversations that maybe I'll come back to that, that um that kind of kind of um, play a part in what happened later, but uh it was on the way home from Seattle that I started telling my husband I was um thirty six weeks along, and I just told him that I just hadn't been feeling her move that much, mm-hmm. and so that next day was monday and um and you know I would just go about my daily routine. But I couldn't remember the last time I'd felt her move around. And at that time, she was very active. It had been very active in the past. And um, so I did what, you know, they tell you to do, to drink orange juice and then go lay down. And I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I just had the most dreadful feeling um, that something was really, really wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I called my good friend, Kirst. And um, I had little kids, and so she she said, sure, I'll, I'll take the kids. I called my doctor. They said, yes, you need to come in right now. So uh, my lovely friend, Kiers, came and took my kids back to her house, and I drove up to the hospital. And, um, and in my heart, I think I was really excited because I thought maybe – Maybe they'll induce me and I can just be done. Like, I, I, like in my mind, even though I kind of was scared, I mm-hmm. still – didn't think anything really bad was going to happen. And so I went into uh, Salmon Creek Hospital, and they took me back, and they began to listen um, for her heartbeat. They hooked me up to the the ultrasound, and that was the beginning of some very excruciating time where for, uh, like, one of them thought that they heard her heartbeat, and then the other one would think that it was an echo of my heartbeat. And so that actually went back and forth for 10, 15 minutes where they're like, I think I hear her. 
And then they said, no, I don't, I don't hear. And so then they finally, they went and got the doctor. I was waiting for the doctor. So these were just uh, technicians. And then the doctor came in and actually um, got in there with the ultrasound and said, no, she's gone. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And so um, I, I think I just went into a little bit of shock where yeah. I, um, I, I was worried about getting to back-to-school night. It was back-to-school oh. night. And I was like, well, I can't deal with this right now because in an hour I need to go meet my kids' teachers. And um, so I immediately called my husband, and um, and he started coming up to the hospital. And um, I called Kiris and told her I'd be home in a couple hours. I don't know what I was thinking. Like I just, yeah, I, I just thought, yeah, okay, well, maybe I can deal with this later. I I just was so. I don't know how your mind just sometimes focuses on, in on something like, I've got to go to back to school. <laughs> right, right. And, um, they called a chaplain in who was a sweet, sweet man um, who, who was trying to provide all sorts of comfort. And I just I, I felt bad for him because I just wanted to say, I know all of this. I know yeah. it's going to be okay. But right yeah. now, I just need to be devastated. <laughs> right, right. And so... Anyway, Judy, Judy, my friend Judy was the um, Relief Society president in our ward, and uh-huh. she, um, we called her, and she immediately came up to the hospital, and she had actually suffered something very similar uh, a few years before mm. where she had lost her daughter. And um, she brought a camera and um, just asked if we wanted her to stay, and uh, I just I felt like I just needed to go through this on my own. And so um, I... Um, but I was so grateful for her for coming up. She she said, you'll want to take pictures, which oh. was such a blessing to me because I would have never thought about that. I would have never yeah. thought about that. Yeah. And so um, anyway, um, they it, it was horrible. I kind of blacked out. I don't remember a lot about that experience um, other than just at the end, you know, um, just holding her and just, you know, you always hear those stories about people who, um, you know, just, I, I think in my mind, I just felt like if I had enough faith, like she would live. Like right. if I just believed right. that, yeah. that they were wrong and that she right. was going to be okay. Or right. like if I just held her tight, that she would start to breathe. Like yeah. I can yeah. just remember all of those stories that people told you over right. the years. And so I just thought if I just believe, if I just believe, this is going to be right. okay. Um, so, so, so let me just interrupt you. Let me oh, interrupt sure, for a second. Sure. So you thought, okay, I've got this devastating news, um, but I've got other children that I have to take care of. So I'm going to go now, and um, yes. I'm going to go to the school conferences, and then we'll we'll talk again tomorrow. And that's what yes. you're thinking, you know. Um, but the reality was that they admit you immediately, and they didn't le- let you leave, right? Right. They immediately okay. left. They they made me yeah I, I I say made me but um they they said that there's just it was not a good outcome to uh, let it go for a long time so okay okay so you they so they talked about that I mean they talked about how long can we go should we do something right now or so that was part of the conversation or they just informed you that this isn't a good thing we're going to act on this now yeah they informed okay. me that this really okay. needed to happen right now okay. And, uh, uh, I had wanted to go home and just, you know, go to the, go to the school thing oh, <laughs> and funny. then think about it and sleep on it. And I just wasn't ready to face it, the reality. Right. I, right. I was trying to postpone 
the inevitable. So. Right. So what what is the procedure, if you don't mind sharing with us? Sure. Um, do, do they did they do a cesarean or did they induce you and make you go through labor? They induced me and I I went through labor. It's oh a little bit gosh. different because they can give you all sorts of um, of drugs, uh-huh. but um, but yeah, it it was not fun at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> so was, you still it was still extremely. It still felt very much like giving birth. A child, yes. Gosh, yeah. And and so um, she was 36 a week. How, did they tell you how much she weighed? Um, they did. Um, okay. She was, I believe, th- around three pounds or so. Oh, okay. um, she looked perfect to me. I mean, oh. she, she um, just, you know, was seemed perfect in every way. When they right. looked at her, they... Um, they, you know, thought maybe that they'd be able to tell just by looking at her what was the cause of her death, and right. they couldn't tell, and so they asked if we could do a biopsy, and uh-huh. I felt like that was really important if I was going to have um, more children to know what yeah. had actually gone wrong. Right. And so they did the biopsy, but it wasn't for several weeks until we found out the results of that. Oh, and what were the results? She actually had Down syndrome. Um, which we did not know. Um, they did not find anything on her ultrasound, you know, when we went in to uh-huh. have an ultrasound. Yeah. Um, I had not done an amniocentesis, or uh-huh. I'm probably saying that wrong, amniocentesis. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, but the, it's usually something that I've heard a lot of times they can catch in an ultrasound. Um, yeah. But they they didn't catch it, and so it was. And actually, a lot of times they can tell by actually looking at the baby. Right. And, um, they couldn't tell by looking at her either. And, and you so hadn't had only, that uh, that triple screen test. You hadn't had that. Um, no. Blood, blood, isn't that so amazing? There's such a, a percentage of a failure rate with that test, and and when you talk to people. Um, you hear the conflicting stories. You hear the stories where they were told the child did have Down syndrome. Then you hear the stories where they say, no, there was no problem, but then they did, you know. So it is it is almost where you just want to say, uh, we're just going to take this and go with it, you know. Um, but interesting, interesting. But and then they didn't see anything on the ultrasound. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So that was a little bit of a shock. Um, yes. To, yes. To me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what, Jenny, let's take a little break. This is a great uh, place to break. And then we'll come back and talk more about how you, you know, how you even begin to handle something like this. So let's take a break. Now back to Renee Steelman for more Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com. Hi, thank you for thank you for joining me. Thank you for coming back. Before we went to break, I was talking with my friend Jenny, and she was uh, recapping the story of when she lost her baby at 30 weeks uh, along in her pregnancy, and how she was um, not feeling any movement, and and she just had a feeling of dread. Jenny, let me ask you: when you talked about earlier, you talked about on your way up to Seattle, you know, kind of telling your husband that. You just felt like maybe something was wrong. What was his reaction? How, how did your husband react to your instinct that there was something going on? 
Um, I don't think initially he was he was super concerned because um, I think you know with each of your kids um, they sometimes go through um, as I was pregnant with them they would go through periods where they were more active and less active mm-hmm. and so I just kind of was mentioning it to him um, in passing um, I don't think at that point I was super concerned it was just kind of odd you know that right right for a while yeah right, so he's right. you know we he, I don't think he was super concerned about it either right. at that point and I and I think that that's as I mentioned once before in one of my other shows I I talk a lot about how uh, the gift that women are given that instinct that women are given to uh, just feel that something is wrong or that someone needs you or what someone is feeling even when their words are not expressing that that feeling, you know, of, of whatever. Um, it's such a gift that we have. And, and I think through a lot of, uh, conditioning or political correctness or, um, whatever, we, we have been, we've been kind of taught to let go of that feeling and we're not acting on it. And men, on the other hand, have the, you know, they're kind of the protector. They're kind of the person that goes in to fix things. And so sometimes when we as women express our feelings of, whatever, their first reaction is to either fix it or to just make you feel better by, you know, confirming to you that everything's okay. And But it's really important that we continue to act and, and to, you know, listen to these feelings that we have. I also love the fact that you had people that you could call on immediately. And and what a blessing that is to um, to, to just in a state of shock have people that can come to the forefront of your mind that, you know, call to help take care of your kids or or to remember that you had this friend who had gone through what you had gone through and that you could call her. And and I think sometimes, um, I, and I, I also like that comment that you made where, you know, somebody, you know, Judy wanted to come up and you thought, no, I, I just want to be alone, you know, because that's the feeling that I had. I know when I first, you know, found out with my son, you just, you just want to be alone with your thoughts and then, then those other friends act on their instincts and go, no, I'm coming up. I'm going to be with right. you whether you think you want someone or not. So I think it's really important to remember and to share with people that even though we think that we can do things or that we're strong or that maybe even looking back, we might think we did go through things alone. But then when we actually start to recollect, we might go, you know what? I didn't go through that alone. This person helped me and that person helped me. And, you know, it's important to remember that. So, so I can't imagine. The other thing I, I want to talk about is, is the fact that we as women, um, because our bodies are naturally going to go through stuff, it's not, you know, anything we have control over. You've had to go through labor to, you know, to, to have this baby born, knowing what the outcome is going to be. And then you have to recover from that birth, just as you would have if, if, the, if she would have been fine. And then your body hormonally has to go through. Talk a little bit about how that was where you're grieving and then your body uh-huh. is reacting as if you've just had a baby. Yeah, that, that was really hard, I think, when, um, when my milk came in, in particular. Yeah. That was really, really, really hard. Um, uh, just cause it just felt so wrong, <laughs> you know, yeah, for lack of right. a better word, you know. Right. And, um, so anyway, yeah, it was, it was really hard. Um, uh, but I think my body 
recovered a lot quicker um, from that than than from the emotional scarring, well, <laughs> which I think yeah. is probably natural thing to have happen, you know. Right, um, right. Yeah. So. so, and how long, what would you say, um, and then, of course, you have to be there for your children, too. So you've, you're, yes. you're going through pain and and then you have to comfort your children and and then you know your husband and you know you're comforting each other so how did your children react um my children were pretty young but they absolutely knew that um that the baby had died and um i think it was really hard on them my mom actually drove up through the night she lives in utah and she drove through the night to get up here so that she could be with me and um, kind of help with the kids. And um, so I just am really grateful that she did that. And right. so I think for them it actually became, you know, it was hard, but it was actually um, kind of fun too because Grandma got to come. And then my husband was really, really good about helping me to get out of the house. Like, I, I think I just wanted to sit in the, in the house and just feel sorry for myself. Right. But he was really instrumental in saying, let's go on a hike, you know, let's go, let's get out and let's do something. And um, so he became really great at kind of coming up with family activities for us to do um, so that I could kind of focus on, on the kids I did have instead of the right. child that I had lost. Right. Right. And so how long was it then before you felt as though um, you still had an empty plate, you know, a space in your home and you needed sure. to fill it? And then what were what what was the process? Did you did you decide, well, you know, do we try to have another baby or let's let's not do this anymore? And then how what was the process of deciding you wanted to adopt? So um, immediately, like I felt I mean, I felt like there was something missing like I felt like my heart had been broken and I felt like I needed something to fill up that empty spot in my heart and so I just I remember spending like hours just on the internet like looking at dogs like maybe a dog would help me feel better (laughs) maybe I could adopt a baby or maybe we you know maybe if I did this or maybe if I did that or um I uh went in to see my doctor uh Pretty soon after, um, my my actual doctor was not the doctor who delivered my baby. It was the baby. It was the doctor who was on call, okay. and so I went up and met with my um, actual OBGYN, and I walked away from that appointment feeling pretty down. He um, he kind of basically said if I wanted to have another child, that time was of the essence. Um, oh. that I was getting a little bit older that now I would be considered a high-risk pregnancy. Um, and, uh, you know, so I kind of came away from that appointment um, feeling a little bit down. And then a few weeks, well, maybe a week later, he called me and told me that uh, the biopsy had come through and that my oh. um, that my baby had Down syndrome. And so that actually put another um, another spin on it for me right. because right. up until that point I hadn't really ever worried about it. All my kids were right. healthy. I right. put myself in that category of people who produce healthy children. <laughs> like right. I, you right. know, and so I um I um I just it it became really scary for me, I think, to um think about having another child. But I wasn't I wasn't um 
I wasn't necessarily deterred, uh, you know, by that. I just wasn't sure what was the right thing. My husband, on the other hand, felt like we've got three healthy kids. Right. Just be happy with what we've got. That there was something missing for me. Right. Right. And so, in a way, it was it was as though you know. I hate to say, I don't know if it was like considered another death, but to have the doctor say, you know, you're done and you weren't yeah. thinking you were done. And so now you've got another blow to your, where, where, you know, where you're being told, no, that's it. This is, this is where you're at in your life. And, and, and so that yeah. was another grieving, another, another time for grieving, really, to think that this part of your life was over. So sure. yeah, that must have been really hard. So okay, so and I mean, he didn't say me. He didn't say I couldn't. He just said, if you're right. going to, you need to think right. about it sooner rather than later, kind of a thing. You know, right. getting over. Right. That right. type of what's the just tick 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 here. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> wow. And then you, of course, you know, have to go through all of the funeral and all of that kind of stuff that yes. was family and yes. and you know put that out of the way and then you know, start. So you started, you kind of got on the internet, started looking at maybe what some options were and how much time has passed. Um, I almost started doing that like immediately. Like I just felt like I needed something. I needed something to look forward to. I needed something to hold on to. You know, I just wanted something. So I started looking around at different things. Um, uh, while I had been up in Seattle, this is one of those conversations I was telling you about. My my husband's actually uh, was adopted from uh, Korea. He and his sister, and um, when he was four and she was two, and one of the conversations that we had while we were up there is um, my husband and his sister talking about the different people that they've known that have been adopted. And and Kevin, one of the things that he said is I. I will never adopt a child. I just never feel like it ever turns out well. And oh. so, so did he uh, not, did his experience as being adopted was not a happy experience? He didn't have a happy It was a home. really hard experience. He's got, oh. yeah, he's got a, um, it's a very interesting uh, a story that he has as well. But it was uh, a very difficult upbringing for him. Um uh, in which his adoptive mother basically abandoned them. Um, oh. And so he had kind of his own things. They, they, they knew a lot of kids that had been adopted, and uh, he actually also has family members that had been adopted, and he just felt like none of those uh, stories ever really had a good outcome. And so... Oh. Um, so that was the conversation while I was still pregnant, you know, like we knew this was our last child and he was saying, I'm just glad that we never will have to adopt a baby because I don't, I don't ever feel like it turns out well. Wow. So, so I, that was, that conversation was kind of playing over in my head, but, um, for me, the being pregnant again, I just wasn't sure if mentally I could do that again. Right. Um, the process of being so sick, and then it's all, it turns out okay if you get to bring a baby home, but if not, right. it, it just, it was such a traumatic idea for right. me. Right, right. Um, so I started kind of looking more into adoption, but I knew that my husband would resist that idea. Right. Um, and so I, as I was going through that process of like just doing different things, I must have filled out a form online about adoption without really remembering that I had oh, done that. Right. 
Yeah, because sometimes they do that for you to get more information. You need all their information. Yes. They make you give them yes. their information, yeah. Yes. And so um, a couple of weeks later, they um, at, at, church, at, at the church, um, they have a program where the children perform and, and they sing. And, um, and I went to that program, and in my mind's eye, I saw a little Asian girl on the stand, and I just felt like she was mine. It was not, she wasn't really there. I just saw right, it in my mind. Right, eye. right. And, um, I came home and thought, maybe that, maybe we need to really look at adopting more. And, um, the next day in the mail, I got a brochure from an adoption agency, and I didn't remember filling out the form to request that, but they had sent me um, information about adoption and their different programs. And so I approached my husband about the idea of adoption, and his response was pretty much what I expected. He, yeah. He was like, uh, he was happy with our three kids, but if right. I wanted to have another one, then he, he thought that we should try to have another uh, biological child. Right. Um, and so that we kind of went back and forth, and uh, um, you know, it just was, you know, it was just difficult. Um, yeah, that that would be really hard because it wasn't just it wasn't just your opinion versus his opinion. He had valid reasons for having right. that that opinion, and you you are respecting those valid reasons. But on the other hand, you also have a strong instinct, so. Wow. Yeah, that would be a, that would be some difficult conversations. So how right. so how did you how were you able to proceed then? So, um on my birthday um in December, he took me out. This is uh 2006. This is the mm-hmm. so we lost our baby uh September 1st of 2006. And so in December of 2006, he took me out to dinner and he um just surprised me and said if you really feel strongly about an adoption, then I'm behind you. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That yeah. is beautiful. Wow. Yeah. So that gave you the and green light to say, yeah. "All right, I'm go- here. We go. Here we go." So yeah. almost immediately, it was like I think it went much faster than he. W- I mean, because the next day I was on the phone with adoption agencies trying to find the right adoption agency, trying to decide where we should adopt from how we should go about it, um, you know, looking at all the different options for adoption. And what did you find out? What did you find out? What's out there in the adoption agency? Did you find out that um, it's difficult or American adoptions are harder than overseas adoptions? Or what did you find out? I think that I always kind of leaned towards overseas adoptions just because my husband is Korean. And and so um, I just, I have actually have a sister-in-law who is Chinese, and um, Kevin's sister is Korean. And so I just kind of felt like a child from Asia would fit really well into our family. Right, um, right. But it's, it is very expensive. And um, so we also looked at um, uh, LDS uh, adoptions through our church. Oh, uh-huh. Um, but that one quickly kind of became um, one that would have been a harder option for us because the way that they work it is that you put load a profile on and oh. then people choose you. And oh. at that time, Kevin's niece um, was ha- struggling with fertility, and she was on there for people to oh. choose her. 
and we knew that it would be really hard if for some reason we ended up getting a baby. Oh, yeah. Before they did, it would have been a really difficult um, situation for, oh, for his family right, and, and right. stuff. And so that option, um, we just kind of didn't uh, pursue very much. And um, the other um, U.S. domestic adoptions, um, the process didn't feel comfortable to me at all. And so I did begin looking for international adoptions. Um, I see. Now, was Holt, the Holt agency, one of the agencies that you looked into? It was not, although Kevin um, was adopted through a Holt agency. But no, we did not look, through, did not look at Holt. Um, huh. I kind of wanted something that was close by, um, ah. that was in this area, right. uh, where if that we could have contact with them if we needed to. Uh-huh. Um, and I kind of just, you know, you look for reviews, you look for pricing, and you look for what program you would be interested in. And originally, I was um, most interested in a Korean uh, adoption. Right. Right. Uh, but with Korean adoptions, they um, they actually will, uh, won't let you select the se- uh, sex of your baby. So you can't oh. choose if it's a boy or a girl. Oh. And it's... Probably at the time, I mean, international adoption has changed a lot since we adopted. But wow. at the time, it was probably twenty thousand more than wow. China. Wow, that's so, so sad. It's so sad that they. Yeah. I mean, there's good things about the the screening process, obviously, um, but right. then there's other things that I that that are just yeah. I hate for it to be a profit type industry, you know. Sure. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So, and then I also, I seem to remember that you said one of the options or one of the things that they ask you are, are you willing to take a child with a disability? Is, yes, is that correct? That actually, that came later in our process. Okay. Um, okay. So we originally signed up, uh, we signed up with an agency in Tacoma and, uh, got, uh, they actually had two different programs. They had a special needs or a non-special needs. And yeah. so we signed up for the non-special needs program and got in line. So basically China's very organized in how they do their adoptions. They have a central agency within China that um, adoption agencies here in the U.S. help you create a dossier, and then it's sent to this um, agency in China, and then they will match you with the child within China. And oh. so it's uh, it's a di- it's a lot different process internationally than um, than other com- countries because it's got a single entity that deals with all of the adoptions within within China. Wow. Okay. So, so you had kind of given up on Korea and you were on to possibly getting a baby from China. Yes, China became okay. like after Korea, China. I. I really wanted to be able to select the gender of my child. I right. grew up being an only an only girl, and I right. wanted my daughter to have a child. I, I mean, have a sister. A sister, so yes. Thinking, as long as I'm going this route, then I want yes. to be able to choose. You know? Right, right, yeah. So yeah, exactly. Um, we, so we went. We, we um, pretty soon quickly decided that China was the the right uh, place to go. Um, at see. the time, people were waiting about two years to get a non-special needs child. And right. um, we had to do a lot of paperwork. that were, We had to jump through a lot of hoops. And so by April of 2007, we were logged in their system and waiting in line to. Oh, okay. um, and so they were telling us at the time, 
probably two years. Um, and then all of a sudden, international adoptions totally flip-flopped and changed while we were in line, um, uh. where it slowed from where, you know, there were maybe 5,000 babies being adopted out to the U.S. within a year mm-hmm. to it dropped off significantly to where there were maybe 1,500 babies being wow. adopted now, in the U.S. Was this because of government intervention? Was the, what, what was happening to, to make this, you know, to, There's a couple to have different this happen? Things. Yeah, there's a couple different things that are all kind of uh, speculation. China is very um, – uh, they don't really necessarily have not ever come out and said what right, happened. Right, right, right. Um, so there's a lot of different speculation about um, what happened within China and within other countries as well because uh, international adoption in general have come to a screeching halt in a lot of countries, um, at least at the time that we were uh, looking at adoption. It, we kind right. of got in. We kind of got in line. And then that line stopped moving. Um, wow. And so, and it happened in a lot of different countries as well. I haven't been as in tune with the international adoption community now that I have my child home, so I don't know if that has changed. But, right. But uh, there were some dramatic changes that were going on um, in 2007 and 2008. Um, oh, okay. So uh, I think, in my opinion, a lot of what happened within China is that China – did not want to be the world supplier of of children. To yeah, it started to world. look bad. Yeah, they it started, started to, look, to bad. look bad. Yeah, yeah. There was also um, there were a lot of children that were having special needs that mm. um, were staying in orphanages their uh, whole lives. Right. Um, and then there was also a lot of infertility with pollution and. <sighs> Oh. That, so that couples within China were suffering from infertility, and so there was a demand for children that had not been there previously for adopt, for children to be adopted within uh, their own country. Oh. And then also um, the stigma of adoption has slowly been changing in the country as well. Oh, I see. And so, um, and also uh, just in general, the the gender difference I think also has frightened. China that they're starting to see the studies of the gender imbalance and right. uh, it doesn't look good to be sending all of their girls um, overseas. Uh, right, right. So I think there's a whole bunch of different factors. China never has come out uh, to right. say right. what, um, what, why it dropped off right. so significantly. Um, right. But um, the, the the situation is that we put our file in in 2007. Uh, if we had not switched to the special needs program, we would still be waiting for a child. Oh, my heavens. That's amazing. Right now. Wow. So So you made the decision. Yeah, so you made the decision then. It's like, well, that's crazy. So so then you said, all right, we will agree to be on the special needs list. And then what happened? So that was also another conversation with my husband. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Poor guy. (laughs) Yeah. So finally, he agreed to that as well, and we sw- we we told them that we were interested. Uh, China changed the way that they were doing special needs. Before, they would send a handful of files to agent every you know to agencies that were doing special needs programs programs, and then that agency would try to match those children with families. And so the special needs program, um, as the non special needs program drift, you know, kind of slowed down, the special right. needs 
uh, program geared up, and so they implemented a new online system in which uh, all of the special needs uh, files would be accessible to all of the orphanages. And so it became a really interesting process where people would then, we there would be uh, the um, the people from the uh, adoption agency would be staying up until 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning on the day that these files were released, trying to lock in children for for these parents. Um, uh-huh. And so every month they would release a whole slew of files. The the um, agency would then stay up all night trying to lock in these files for their families. And then the next day you would find out whether or not a child was locked in for you, and then you could look at their file and decide whether or not that um, you could be feel comfortable with that particular special need. And oh, so, interesting. So during that time, we actually were locked in for a couple of different children, Um, and so we would view the the files, and uh, most of the time, my husband felt like that the needs were too significant for what our family was capable of handling. And so for several months in a row, it was a roller coaster, because I just wanted to take any baby. I just wanted any baby. Um, Right. And... um, he was uh, definitely felt like we needed to be more practical, um, right? In 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 this, and so I was. There were several times where I felt like this just was never going to happen, right? And it was never going to work out. Yeah, that. And now, did you um, did you get almost to a decision where you were going to take one, and then I might be I might be remembering the story differently. Um, and then you decide, or something happened, and you didn't get that child. And then, it, am I hearing that yes. story right? Was there some situation yes. like that? Okay. Yes, there was a baby that we locked in that she had hepatitis B, and um, and uh, I w- I wanted that baby, and right. um, so there was a uh, we had, were locked in for her. I was super excited, and right. then. Um, I just had family members calling me that were concerned about uh, hepatitis B. Uh, It's something that's definitely manageable um, and that I think would have been okay, but there was just something that did not feel right about it. And so I I was just sick um, because we had to make a decision within a very short amount of time. And so I was sick, and so it was really hard letting that little girl go. Um, right, we finally right. determined that it probably wasn't the right fit for our family, but I felt like I'd suffered another loss. Like I was oh just, my gosh. I was devastated. I was so devastated. Um, and I just start, kind of started feeling like my husband wasn't really committed to the process, that, that he, he was kind of going along with it, hoping that, yeah. I mean, we had spent so much money in it that right. he knew I was vested, but right. I I don't know. I just kind of was feeling like he wasn't participating. Like he was pretending to go along with it, but that every baby that came up was going to be like, yeah, let's keep looking until finally yes. you would let it go. Yes. Yeah. And it yeah. just felt like wrong. It felt like we were we were shopping for a baby, and that's yeah. not what I, yeah. I wanted to feel like. I yeah. Just, I was ready to accept every single one of those children that right. we saw. Right, um, And, uh, and. But Kevin was definitely more practical about what right. our family could really live with. 
So right. it, so we, we, we went through this for, um, it was two years, basically, oh. of, and it was a very, it was a really hard, hard time. I had a great friend named Emily who just was so supportive. She has a real gift for being able to listen to people forever and not right. feel like it's a burden. And she just listened to me and like almost every day just and helped me to kind of work through um, uh, just the feelings. Like I just, I wanted to know what the end was going to be. Right, and right. I was I felt like if I knew there was a child at the end of it that I could do it forever. Right. But I just felt like I didn't know that there was going to eventually be a child. And so yeah. I just felt really lost for probably those two years. It was a really hard time. Yeah. So um so then tell me how Haley's picture popped up or Haley was like, What about this one? And you were like, That's it. How did that happen? Yeah. So it was really exciting. We, um, I knew that there was another batch coming up, um, but my um, my social worker was actually in China at the time. So I didn't think she was on tour with a group that were that was there to pick up their children, and so I knew she was in China. So I just didn't think that she would have time to. Um, you know, look on the system and, and try and match children. And so I kind of had, I was excited about it, but I had kind of re- reconciled myself to the fact that it probably wasn't going to happen that month. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so it was the um, actually Thanksgiving day. Um, we were going to be heading up to Seattle, and I checked my email before we left, and um, there was a file from her, and I opened it up, and I'm sorry, it makes me a little emotional. Right. She, I just looked at her and I just thought, oh, she's perfect. She's perfect. And Kevin just looked over my shoulder and he said, yep, I think she's the one. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And so we read her file and um, we just, uh, you know, uh, we kind of narrowed it down by then about what spo- uh, special needs that we would feel really comfortable with. And right. so we were very comfortable with the idea of a uh, of cleft lip and, and palate. Yeah, yeah. And, um and so uh, she definitely had a cleft lip and palate, and uh, we we actually took her file and sent it to an international adoption doctor that specializes in uh, looking at uh, these medical files. And wow. she called us and said everything looks really good. She looks really great. And um, so we uh, they had locked her in for us, so we had to send in within, I think, at 72 hours, you have to send them a letter of intent to adopt that child. And so we were able to send that off and um, get her locked in for us. And so then more waiting. And then it's, and then it's more of a waiting game. But, um, but it felt like that after that, it was very exciting, you know. Right, right. Because then you're, it's almost like you're going through another pregnancy. And then how long before you guys were able to go over there and, and pick her up and bring her home? Uh, we had to wait until um, we did not go until March. So we got her oh, picture wow. Thanksgiving of 2008, and then we were able to travel March of 2009 to go okay. to China to pick her up. Oh my gosh! Well, we've got this is uh, I just love this story. We've got about 10 minutes left, Jenny. Um, talk just briefly about um, it wasn't an easy transition. She had some you know, attachment issues and things. So talk a little bit about what it was like when you finally get to bring your baby home. Plus, she has surgeries right away, right? She had to undergo medical things. So there's a lot of trauma kind of going on. 
Yes, I um, I think I spent the first couple weeks of um, having her home wondering what I had done to our family because uh. it wasn't an easy transition. Um, and she she really struggled. Um, she had had a surgery over in China for her lip, and so her lip had been repaired, but she still had um, a hole in the in in her cleft, and so um, it. She actually was awesome at eating. Uh, she she had figured out how to eat and drink without food coming out of her nose, which was really common. So she was a great eater, which is a lot of times um, a difficulty for people who adopt children. Right. Um, right. But, so she ate very well, but she had a lot of trouble sleeping at night. And oh. she, um, she had been um, in an orphanage where they were mostly kept in a crib all day long. And oh. so she knew how to walk because she could pull, that was how they would interact with the other kids as they'd pull themselves up and walk along their cribs. Oh, so gosh. she could walk, but she, but being held was uncomfortable for her. Uh, being comforted was uncomfortable for her. And she would arch her back and just scream if we tried oh. to love on her at all. And, um, and I think it was a hard thing because I, I was in love with her picture. Yeah. But you show up and there's this child and you do not know anything about them. And right. I really think I thought that those feelings of love would uh-huh. just be there. But right. it was really, it was an interesting process of falling in love with her and mm-hmm. how the reason I fell in love with her was because I really had to serve her uh. and do everything for her. And that's how I fell in love with her. And that's how she learned to trust me. And there were periods of time where, um, you know, it's one of those things like you just don't know what to do. There's lots of books that you can read about how to attach with your child. Um, but I just wasn't 100% sure on how to do it. And so there were times where almost every day I would just take her in my arms and I would just hold her and she would scream bloody <sighs> murder like I was um, torturing her. Oh my and I gosh. would just hold her and hold her until she became so exhausted that she would fall asleep in my arms, and then I would just rub her back. And wow! Um, so I think that that really helped us to bond, and um, really the biggest part of where I feel like I felt like she was my baby was right. when she had to go in for her first surgery. And I had to do everything for her. And I can remember when they took her to go take her into surgery, and she was reaching for me. And oh, it felt so horrible. Yeah. And, and I just—I said I, it was a huge turning point for us, where she knew she could trust me to be there for her. Right. And I just fell in love with her. She was so tough. I mean, she's just a—she's been a tough little girl who's yeah. been through a lot in her life. But she's very resilient. And um, so, yeah, it's a process. That's amazing. Because I think with your children, your biological children, it, you don't realize how natural it comes. Right. It becomes, you know, it's coming because you are doing everything for them and right. they rely on you. Yeah. So, yeah. Isn't that interesting, though? I love, Jenny, that that we're going to we're going to close with ex- the quote that you said about the fact that you had to serve her for her to learn to trust you and to create that bond. And, yeah. and 
and really what you're doing was exactly what we do as mothers with our babies. We're serving them, we're feeding them, we're changing them, they're making sure that they're comfortable. And that's the whole process of how people do bond is through serving each other. And yeah. I love that you recognize that. Now, she is um, seven now? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. I remember she's about the same age as my granddaughter, um, whose father was half Korean. So there's a lot of physical yeah. uh, similarities a little bit. And yeah. um, I remember they were the same age, and it was just kind of fun to watch them kind of grow up together. And has has she um, – does she talk – does she have any memories of of her life there in China or anything like that? Um, it, it was really hard at first. She's um, she, she would have a hard time looking at pictures of China. Um, she oh. has some big emotions that um, are definitely there. But in recent years, I think as she's been able to process them, as she's gotten older, she's been very interested in China. She has a little friend who actually is from China who oh. likes to teach her uh, Chinese words and oh. um, how to write some different words. And so she's become increasingly interested in in the country of her birth. And when we talk about a, a, adoption, it's not as um, as sad as for her as it used to be. So interesting, she interesting that very well. And she was how old then when you were able to bring her home? Just a year? She was uh, fifteen months. Yeah. Okay. 15. Okay. Wow. Well, that, I just, thank you so much. I mean, that, that is, I, that was a beautiful story. And I'm, I'm, there's so many things that we can learn from that, you know, trusting our instincts and, you know, pursuing what we think we should, the avenue that we think we should be going down. And then, and then how sometimes we think that it's going to be easy. Oh, I, I've heard that so many times where people think, oh, this is great. Once I get this baby home and they see what a, or, you know, great, great parents we are and we'll just give them all this stuff and they'll be so happy and then come to find out they're not. And it's, you know, more of a struggle, but it's kind of, the way it goes, that's, that's the yeah. whole purpose of the plan. So thank you so much for sharing your story today, Jen. No problem. All thank right. You. We'll talk later. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I, I really appreciate and I love that she, as I mentioned, that she ended, uh, that Jenny ended up by saying that, you know, that this baby had um, attachment issues and and that it was only through serving her that the baby learned to trust her and to love her and i think that's such an important important concept that we need to all grasp that that um you know that that's how we bond with anybody our spouse our partner all of our children it's through serving them that they learn you know to trust and it's it's answering their cries and answering their 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 calls you know when they call out for you and they know that you're there and that's how they learn to trust the world that's how they develop autonomy is by by knowing that they can trust the world through the early early beginnings of their of their childhood and how important that is for parents for all of us to be there for them so i hope you enjoyed the the story today that jenny shared with us and i hope that you understand that you know, sometimes we, we believe that happiness is the absence of burdens, that, that bearing burdens and going through hard times is um, something that, you know, we don't want to do. But we need to understand that that's the part, that's the whole plan of happiness, that we can't have joy if we have never known sorrow. And, and you know, we're all individuals. All of our, our trials will be different, and, and we need to look for the answers or to, to the help that we need 
through other people and not through necessarily overnight miracles and that we need to recognize those people and give thanks for those people that have you know served us even if it's something as little as what Jenny shared uh, a friend who was willing to listen to her every day every day and she probably repeated herself and the friend was probably you know, had the phone like half up to her ear thinking in her head, uh-huh, uh-huh, I heard this yesterday. But she was there for her and was willing to listen again and again. So thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that I will be sharing more with you next week. We'll have a, a I hope that you have as good a week as I'm planning and we'll talk next Monday. Bye-bye.